the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And today we continue in this series called Jesus Has Left the Building with a message today called Jesus and the Poor. And this message is going to challenge you because Pastor Sean's going to point out how you serve the poor tells a lot about how you view the poor. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this, so let's talk about it now. This is Real Life Radio. So let's stop saying if you're part of this political party, you don't care for the poor. Or if you're part of this political party, you don't care for the poor, you're just using them. Let's stop saying that. Can we do that? And let's remember, forget the D and the R, let's have the C after our name. Okay, we're Christians. And let's just know, Jesus told us to minister to the poor. And I do want to say, in America, I suggest it's more complex. Okay, and give me a little indulgence here. Um, I'm not saying there aren't any poor in America. I've just traveled a little bit. And I know because of the resources that we have, the, being the wealthiest nation, the most prosperous nation in the history of the world, that the poor in America, it's a very different scenario than in Jesus' day. Very different. The causes of poverty, the lifestyle of poverty, the issues surrounding poverty were totally different in Jesus' day. In India, the issues of poverty that Mother Teresa dealt with, so different than the issues of poverty that we have here. Understand something. I know a little bit of what I'm talking about. When we started Real Life Ministries, there were a couple different manifestations of that ministry. We had a small group in my house, and I had a band of musicians that we played music, and we communicated a message, and we went down and we did ministry in Victoria Courts. I don't, you may, some of you may remember where Victoria Courts was, right downtown, right near the Alamo Dome, across the freeway from the Alamo Dome. That whole housing project used to just be a public housing project. They leveled it, and now they put the apartments and things that are there. But Victoria Courts was the second largest housing project in San Antonio. We own a house right across from the rec center there. We worked with the Residents Association. We were very involved. We had a kids club there. We knew people, lots of people on a first-name basis. We were in their homes. They were in our office home. And I, I got to tell you, folks, it's a very hard thing to wrestle through. When you hear the news media, you listen to the politicians talk, and then you're actually there, and you're like, you guys have no clue what you're talking about because the, the needs are really serious. But when you go in, now we're starting a ministry, and we were broke, okay? I won't say we were poor, because Father always met every need, but we were broke. Starting a ministry, there's no paychecks, there's no organization behind us, it's just, hey, Real Life Ministries was stationary in my spare bedroom. That was it. So there, we, we're just trying to work odd jobs, make money, and build this ministry that, you know, we knew there'd be a church associated with. That's where Real Life, that's where River City Community Church came from. And we'd go in the houses of the people who were part of our ministry and we're ministering to the poor and they'd have way better entertainment systems than we had i had an old tv some guy gave me and it's sad when your tv's deeper than it is wide up here okay it's just it's really nasty you know how can such a small picture weigh so much you know 
and, and you go in, you see that, and you're like, but all of this is totally publicly funded through taxpayer dollars. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. At, for several seasons throughout that time, our families, particularly uh, the Mayfields and, and, and ours, I think even Joe and Debbie Willeman were involved in that, Bruce and Deborah Witter, numbers of us at certain times couldn't afford health insurance. And so we had a doctor, a Christian doctor, who was really kind. He let us, kind of gave us a reduced price on his office visits, and he did our medical care until we were able to get some insurance, and it was quite a while. Well, the people who we were ministering to, they had government insurance, and I mean, it covered everything. There were people who would get a bad headache because they didn't want to go ride the public transportation because they didn't have a car, but they didn't want to ride the public transportation. They call an ambulance because it's totally covered by Medicaid. And we saw that kind of stuff all the time. And it's one of those things where you just go, okay, I'm, the issue of poverty is different because they have full medical care. They have food stamps, plenty of food. They had a roof over their heads. They had, they had w- beyond, wants, I mean, beyond needs to wants that were being met. And, and by the way, not begrudging any of that, it's just totally different than what Lori and I saw when we were in Romania right after the communist government fell. And we saw what that looked like and what we've seen other places in Eastern Europe and what we've seen in South America and, and you know, even in Mexico and some of those areas. Totally different. And so we have to decide. You need to understand, there were people there that we would meet. And, you know, you meet a mom, she's got four or five kids, and you can tell right away I'm talking to someone who is so strung out that she's never going to remember this conversation. But she's got all these kids that she's the sole person who's responsible for. She's getting paid for every one, and she's spending it on drugs. And this is not, I'm not guessing, I'm not speculating. No, no, I knew. I was right there. And then 11 o'clock at night, Inner city San Antonio, these kids out by themselves. You see them. Wait, what, what are you doing? Why are you home? Oh, my mom said I could go. Are you out? Of, get over here. And, you know, it breaks your heart. There were families who, and, and you know, I, 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 I don't want to sit in judgment because what's interesting, it's not like people were just saying, oh, I'm not going to get a job, I'm not going to work. They had been generations on public assistance and on welfare. So they had no clue how to go get a job, how to work. It, it was really a cultural thing. And I have to tell you, trying to help get involved, it's like, oh my gosh, help in that system is a whole different animal. You know, I wrote a song kind of out of some of that experience called Teach a Man to Fish. You know the old saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Well, the song kind of talks about some people in poverty, and how people say, you know, oh, they should teach that guy to fish. And the chorus goes, teach a man to fish. That's what the busy people say. But I don't see no one lining up to help someone on their way. A handout steals his dignity, and it only fills one dish. But it's easier than taking time to teach a man to fish. Because, man, when you start saying, because, see, I don't think because there are messed up things in our system, I don't think that in any way changes what Jesus is telling us at all. I think we are still called to minister to the poor, but I think we just have to acknowledge it's going to look different. And people might say, Obama, he's taxing me too much, and he's raising his program. You know, when, you get, when Jesus gets done with you, you might say, you know what, I'll take a, a tax hike. I'll take a, a bit of a tax hike because what Jesus asks, it's just sometimes easier to write a check and say, here, hope this helps, hope this helps, because the issues are much different. I think the question that we have to ask is, how does Jesus want us to see 
those who are poor and needy. No matter what the politics, no matter what we think, no matter all those realities that we see, I believe he came the way he did to identify with the poor so that it would change the way we look at the poor. And so if you're taking notes, write it down. Here's my main point I want to leave you with. How I serve the poor will be determined by how I see the poor. And I want to real quickly unpack a passage of Scripture. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to pick up at verse 25. How I serve the poor will be determined by how I see the poor. And Jesus gives this great teaching in Luke 10 on how we see the poor. In Luke 10 at verse 25, we're told an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? These guys were famous at that. That's what the rabbinical schools, they they would always ask these questions of clarification of one another. And so here's how Jesus answers the question, one of the most well-known stories there is. Luke 10, 30. In reply, Jesus said, well, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I told you guys a few weeks ago when I read that in our regular daily Bible reading and Jesus goes, go and do likewise. I'm like, yeah, you got that teacher of the law, man. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, he's talking to me. He's telling me to go and do likewise. Oh, it's still an awesome story. It's just a little more convicting when I realize he's saying that to me. Go and do likewise. I think this Samaritan, the good Samaritan we call him, I think he made three different investments in this man that are instructive for us. He gave him first his time, which I got to tell you, we are busy people. We pack our lives full. One of the hardest things about ministering to the poor is our time. He gave him money. He gave money for his support and his care. It cost him money. But he also connected him to his network. There was obviously an innkeeper willing to, that he knew well enough to trust him to give him credit. He gave him some money, but he said, any extra expense, I'll, I'll catch it on my way back in. We get the picture of him actually opening up his network to this person who he doesn't even know. And all he knows is he's penniless, he's beat up, and he's in need of help. And I just have to say, when you start talking about your time, your network, we have a process of of dealing with folks who call us for assistance. And and people call us for assistance, you know, because we're a church. They just do. And one of the things we do every time is we have the same response. If someone needs food, we we try to, we have H-E-B gift cards. We try to help out as quickly as we can and meet that need. But for anything else, people call us and, hey, I can't make my electric bill. Can the church help? Okay, and I'm not talking about people from our congregation. I'm talking about people outside. Understand something. Fundamentally, when someone calls absolute strangers because they can't pay their bills, their biggest need is not money. The biggest problem with that phone call is you're calling an absolute stranger. You don't have anyone in your world, relatives, friends, 
church, community. You are so isolated. You are calling total strangers to try to get your needs met. And our answer is, okay, yes, we'll help you. Here's what you do. You show up here on Sunday morning. We're going to introduce you to a pastor. That pastor is going to talk with you and then going to help you get connected with one of our groups. And then that group is going to walk with you, assess you, try to help however they can because I believe the biggest need, first of all, is they are disconnected from Jesus Christ because God promises to be our provider. And the first thing I want to make sure is they are are connected to the one who promises food, clothes, Father knows what you need, and he'll meet that need. Second is that they're so isolated, they desperately need community. They desperately need community. They need people. They need a network. They need someone in their life who cares for them. The isolation is the biggest problem. Most of the people who call hang up at that point and don't, come, don't show up. The vast majority. There are folks, I call them, they're dialing for dollars. Okay, it's a numbers game. Church to church, church to church, and, well, okay, we don't do that. But every once in a while, someone says, okay, I'll see you then. And they do. And we've seen people have their lives radically impacted by that kind of thing because they become part of our group. Then our our group leader becomes kind of the lead in the care and the ministry to this person. We try to help support if we can. If the group needs additional assistance and support, we try to help. And we've seen God do some great stuff through that. But it acknowledges that that money, you know, I got to tell you, it would be way easier to simply raise a bunch of money, have an account, and when people call for money, just, okay, have them fill out an application and then give it to them until it's all gone. And then, sorry, there's no more for this year. Do it again next year. That would be so much easier. Giving money is the easiest thing in our culture. Actually helping, totally different. I got to tell you, a hand out is a whole lot easier to give than a hand up. But Jesus didn't tell us to give what is easy. He said, give to the poor. We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio, a service of River City Community Church right here in San Antonio, Texas, in this series called Jesus Has Left the Building and Rediscovering the Biblical Jesus. In fact, you can find this whole series as a free download on the sermons link at reallife.org. And some very exciting news at River City Community Church as it continues to grow and serve the community. Here's a special invitation from Pastor Sean. Hi, this is Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church. I want to take just a moment and invite you to experience Saturday nights at River City. This new 5 p.m. service beginning on February 1st will be an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights all designed to explore the real life that God designed us for. In fact, beginning in February, in all our weekend services, I'll be sharing a new series called Help My Family is Weird. Now, it doesn't get more real life than that, does it? We're going to take an honest and sometimes humorous look at what the Bible says about family life and see that while it can sometimes be weird, it can also be a great gift when we follow God's design. River City is located on Lookout Road right across from Atama Park with entrances on both Lookout and Evans Road. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is called reallife.org. To find out more about Saturday nights or our Sunday services, go to reallife.org. We hope to see you soon on the road to real life. Welcome back as we return to this message called Jesus on the Poor. This is Real Life Radio. A couple observations real quick. Okay, one, when I see the poor, I see my neighbors. That's what Jesus is saying. Who's your neighbor? See, the problem is here we have a priest and a Levite who totally look away and go to the other side. And when I read that, if I actually put myself in the place of each of these people, have I ever been that guy driving down the road, seeing the need of help with a, oh, I'm sure someone will get it? Yes. Sometimes I've done different. In fact, a lot of times I've done different. Sometimes I haven't. 
problem of looking away and saying, oh, it's not my responsibility. Well, it is. Jesus just gave us this God-given responsibility. My neighbor is that homeless bag lady who's looking for a meal. According to Jesus, she's my neighbor. The shut-in who's looking for a little company and conversation. That's my neighbor. The AIDS patient looking for hope. I met a bunch of my neighbors yesterday. Single mom. The couple up the street who are on the verge of getting a divorce. Those are my neighbors, says Jesus. See, it's a community perspective. It's this idea that it's not just me and mine. I'm not just responsible for my little, you know, my four walls and the people in it, but that there's this kind of social responsibility. And I know when I say that phrase, social responsibility, people get all weird, but you shouldn't. The idea is we are a community and we are responsible to love our neighbor. And Jesus intentionally used a Samaritan who was from a different region. He was despised and he was very deliberate in inserting a Samaritan and showing you how to love your neighbor. And this is big stuff, you know? This idea of community perspective. And and there's two sides of this coin, and it's funny, we have different groups of people who argue both sides. Think about it. I am responsible to others and for others, if I understand community and a communal sense of responsibility. I'm responsible to others and for others. So when people argue on issues of morality, oh, it's none of your business. What someone does in private is their own affair. Well, that's true if they live on a desert island and have never have any contact with me. But if we live in community together, in a society together, then we kind of are responsible too. Because what someone does, does impact me. If I just allow someone to, in a self-destructive way, indulge in addiction, that impacts me. Because I have social responsibility. I can't just turn my back and ignore them when their life is in the toilet. I have a responsibility according to Jesus. So I also have a right on the front end to say, wait a minute, as a community, it's okay to say that some things should be right and wrong. That's why we believe in certain teaching and taking a standard of morality. My financial irresponsibility might adversely adversely affect the community. Sexual irresponsibility, definitely. I I watched as we were down there I, can't, I don't even dare guess in that one housing project how much money monthly was spent to pay for children who needed support but didn't have parents to take care of them because somebody had been sexually irresponsible. So when we teach, we're saying that there's this, there's this moral accountability to each other because we're a society. What one does affects the other. But there's a flip side to that. Is that, that means we're a society and so we care for each other and we help each other. And you know how we do this. I'm, a, I'm just throwing myself out there, okay? And if you hate me for it, sorry. Um, you'll get over it and so will I. Um, I. I'm a guy who believes a big federal government trying to take care of the poor is a bad idea because they're too far away. I mean, I'm grateful that we have a, a nation that has a heart to care for the poor. I'm grateful for that. Um, but when you're so far away because they don't know the difference between the person who's legitimately willing to come, come along and grow and get help and the person who is working the system and has no intention of ever getting help and doesn't care. The government's too far away. Washington's too far away from San Antonio. That's why we say, hey, it was the church's job to take care of the poor. Well, church, we better wake up. We said that before. It's the church's job. Are we ready for that? I mean, really, can you imagine if tomorrow the government said, okay, we have no more money? Let's say our government got ridiculously in debt and couldn't get any more money. I mean, just hypothetical. Let's say they got $17 trillion in debt. I mean, goof, but, you know. Let's say that happened. All of a sudden, there was no more money to care for the poor. And all of a sudden, those who said, no, it's a church's job. It's like, okay, church, get on it. Can you imagine that? A little bit of a gulp factor. Good thing Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't empower us to do with his power. 
and that we don't have to do it on our own. One thing you got to remember when helping the poor folks, keep this in mind, say it to yourself over and over and over, I'm not God. Because you can really become very frustrated and hopeless because of the need and I don't have enough to meet the need. It's okay. You're not God. Ministry is showing up. Really helpful in understanding God. You bring someone in my path and I can be a blessing. I'm going to do it. You give me a chance, I'm going to do it. And Lord, I need you to do the stuff that I can't do. I need you to do the miraculous, life-changing stuff, God. But I'm going to be your representative. I'm going to be your hands and feet. How I serve the poor will be determined by how I see the poor. Second, when I see the poor, I see myself. Luke 10, Luke 10, 33, we read, the Samaritan as he traveled came upon the man. When he saw him, he took pity on him. This is idea of, of empathizing with him, of recognizing, wait a minute, he's like me. Effective ministry to the poor and needy begins by identifying with them. And understand, the poor and needy are just like me. See, Jesus said, Matthew 5, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's nobody who's not poor in spirit who can get into the kingdom of God. Because if you think you're rich in spirit, why would you want the kingdom of God anyway? You got it all covered. When we're poor, I have to understand, without a Savior, I am lost and destitute. And who cares if I have, by luck of the draw, the network and some abilities to make money for 70 years here, but then I'm lost for eternity. See, I'm poor. Without Jesus, I am absolutely lost. And as lost as the grossest, vile sinner you can think of, this pastor without Jesus is that lost. And you need to know that. And so are you. And so when I see the poor, instead of sitting in judgment, I go, wait a minute, I'm one of them and they're one of me. Jesus loves the poor. He created them for something different. And we're supposed to share that message and that love. So it takes away this us and them. It's not just us and them. And it gives me a heart of compassion. And it frees me up from the politics of poverty, which is a minefield of sinful hypocrisy. And it gets us out of that. Because there's no us and them, it's just us. It gives us an understanding of this love your neighbor as yourself. Golden rule, Matthew seven twelve: In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Sums up the law and the prophets. How would I want to be treated if that were me? And then do that. How I serve the poor will be determined by how I see the poor. And last, and I'll wrap with this, when I see the poor, I see my Savior. And you know this passage of Scripture, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. The king will say, this is Jesus, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed to, by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer, "Uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we actually see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And there's this sacred idea of being able to meet and minister to Jesus by meeting and ministering to the poor. And that is powerful. That is a powerful idea. You want to give a gift to Jesus? Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors god you want to show your love to god you want to give him a gift care for the poor and folks i know (laughs) 
just as I close, I want to just say I understand the complexity and the challenge. And please remember, you're not God. You don't have to fix it all. If you try to go in as the fix-it guy, okay, we're going to fix this. I'm going to have this done in 30 days because that's how we do it. You are going to be very disappointed. You You don't undo a lifetime of poverty and brokenness in 30 days, okay? What you basically have to do is say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient today. Today I'm going to bring a meal. Tomorrow I'm going to make an introduction. Next day I'm going to help with a resume. After that I'm going to watch some kids while someone goes on job interviews. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to worry about the miraculous stuff, Jesus. I want you to do that, and I believe you can. So I'm going to leave the miraculous stuff to you, Jesus. I'm just going to keep ladling gravy. I don't know what to do about this gravy thing, but i got a ladle in my hand and a little bit of gravy. So, And by the way, I forgot to tell you, at the end she told me there was a little bit of gravy left. It's just like the, the widow in, you know, in the Old Testament with Elijah. You know? There was just it kept being enough. Well, do you understand God can do that with your resources and mine as we minister to the poor in Jesus' name? Do you realize he can multiply it? Do you realize he can have you go to a place and do some games with kids and do some fun stuff and have a little kid walk up to you and go, can I have Jesus in my heart? Yes, you can. So don't take that whole burden on your shoulders. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But what we do have to recognize is, okay, we're going to follow Jesus. It's going to lead to some places where the poor are because that's where his heart is. Nobody who served yesterday got away without thinking, man, this is Jesus stuff. Do the hands and feet, you go to those places, you're like, this is the kind of thing Jesus would do. I know he'd go other places too, but he would hang out at places like this. I promise you you start to disengage. And hands and feet is a great way to start. It's a great way to begin, but I hope it launches a movement. I hope it sparks a compassion in our hearts that changes us. That's my prayer. And I think that's the heart of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Sean. You've been listening to Real Life Radio as next week we'll continue this series called Jesus Has Left the Building and Rediscovering the Biblical Jesus as it's available right now as a free download when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. We invite you to do more than just hear, but see and do when you join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. You can see all the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.